Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com/switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 53124 get 6 months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after 6 months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 83. For those of you new to the show, I'm comedian Simon Kane and this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up comedy, radio, and today, the live circuit. Brendan Burns is an Australian stand-up comedian and author who is known for his boisterous stage presence and controversial material. We got talking about how he found his audience through podcasting and how he has continued to grow it through extensively touring new shows and giving away free content online. As regular listeners of the show will be aware, I'm a big fan of free content online, although I'm also a big fan of making the money back in other ways. So this for me was a very interesting interview and I got loads out of it and I really enjoyed hearing his perspective on why he started doing that and why he started gigging in any venue that wasn't a comedy club which sounds counterintuitive and counterproductive but it's worked for him and frankly i found that as a process and that as a thing to do really interesting there was a little moment quite late on in the episode where it got awkward <laughs> only briefly it got awkward very briefly basically um I said something that I'd been thinking about quite a lot in the run up to the US election which is when we recorded this and he said something from a show that he did the previous year that I hadn't actually seen and we got into quite a long long debate and quite a detailed discussion about the nature of ownership of ideas in jokes and whether you can actually claim an ownership of an idea as he jumped in quite quickly and said I've said that I've done that in a joke and For me that was one of the most interesting parts of the discussion as well because I think a lot of us do that a lot of us say something like oh, I've got a joke like that because we get quite defensive about whether that's our idea and I don't see that so much in music like no one goes oh, I've written a song about love like <laughs> like nobody sort of tries to own a certain subject like that they try and just own the style of the way they perform it whereas with comedians they go I've done a joke like that and I've been in green rooms before that's happened before and no one's really sort of followed it up with a uh discussion about whether that's actually even possible. So for me that was really interesting and quite nice to tackle head on. I had a lot of fun editing this and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Brendan is going to be doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2017 as am I which is next month if you've downloaded this in July when it came out. Um I'll plug the shows at the end of the podcast but if you want that information before then just have a look at the show notes or the website which is simoncane.co.uk. 
If you are new here, please do hit subscribe. If you're old here, please do consider to give it a review in iTunes. But now, without any more delays, this is Brendan Burns. Go on. What? I, I assume you want to say something about what's just happened. You're the worst. <laughs> you're the fucking worst. So, last time he didn't record, right? And then this time, he's come to me house, and I've got to go to work in whenever, and he's sat here dicking around with his new equipment that I had to show him how to fucking use. <laughs> Bearing in mind, I'm 45. How old are you? I'm younger than you. And younger than me. I'm, what are you, I'm, 30? 20, I'm 29. Oh, You're 29? Yeah, f- thanks for that. Yeah, I'm 29. Okay, he's 29. I had to teach the millennial how to use technology. But you, and he still managed to fuck it up. But you used it. I got it working and then you touched it and it fucked up. But this is what you use. This yes, is- I do. But I don't have these fucking mics that need to be powered by it. <laughs> uh, and I use... But I understand the uh, the program oh, you're using that Gar- I use to edit. You're, I use GarageBand. You're using GarageBand. Using- which is pretty basic. That's yeah, true. Yeah. But I was teaching him how to feed his Zoom recorder into... Which, I'm sorry, in my defense, my job here is done. I fucking yeah, got okay. your Zoom recorder and I hooked it up to your Mac All and right. it detected it. All right, yeah. And then it was working <laughs> and then it stopped working the moment you went, wait a minute, why, why did I try and... You just- why, why did I play with the settings a bit more? Why, okay, You're right. the worst. I t- I t- <laughs> He's the fucking worst, ladies and gentlemen. I'll t- I tell you really quickly, right? So... I get really annoyed by this because... Not just this. Oh, really? Really? I, no, I get, I get really? really? Is your patience tested? <laughs> Go on. The reason this I should get, be riveting. The reason I get annoyed is because... I just want an episode of audio on the internet. I want the least number of complicated steps yes. between what I'm doing and what the result needs to be. But I'm with you on that. And this software usually makes it easier <laughs> than GarageBand. Yeah. Because I use GarageBand for about seven months. It's so, infuriating. Yeah. It loses files, doesn't autosave, all sorts of stuff. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't say from this experience that you should get this far. This that, that I should get Adobe. I'm not ready for Adobe, I think. No, I think you're okay Having with the said that, one of the reasons I discovered that yeah, you run into so many problems with uh, GarageBand is it makes massive files. Yes. And uh, if you don't delete them or, or get yourself a hard drive and work remotely yes. uh, on a hard drive, it will often... Rather than, yes, rather than tell you, hey, you're out of memory, it just loses shit. And you can like do an hour of audio of talking and an hour of editing and then you go to drag and drop and... And it loses and it. it. And it loses it. And then you go back to where it was and it's not there anymore and you're like, what the fuck went on? It took me six months of screaming to work that out. I would rather, <laughs> so the first time round when we did this, I would rather lose the file before spending time editing than lose the time that I did editing oh. because editing is the hard part oh it's yeah the, the like people like I had someone message me the other day because they're starting their own podcast and I hope they do but they were like oh like I don't know I'm going to find an hour to do the recording every week and I was like that's not the time problem no <laughs> the time problem but is, the thing I've just taught you to do is going to save you well when I work out to, when I work out to get it to do two tracks rather than yeah, one yeah but rather than Taking it from the um, the SD card yeah. back and forth, back and forth. Now that you can record directly into your laptop, it's it's going to be such a time saver. Well, the, the to the extent I, where you're going to go, what was I doing? You're going to be kind of mad at yourself. I was learning how to edit uh, double files, so the separate left and right files, the other day, and I was listening back to the edit, and it was so much better quality than the ones that I was doing, like when I didn't know that. And I literally, I thought, I'll just go back and listen to a previous episode. Got 10 minutes in and I was like, 
I'm going to have to redo all of them. Like, because it's nowhere near as good. And no. Yeah. My early audio, like, people were enjoying how unprofessional it was. I hope that's what they're... That's not what they're... I hope they are and aren't thinking... I really like how unprofessional Simon is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was because it was no filter, yeah. no editing, and kind of dodgy audio. Like, for instance, a road trip my son and I did across the outback. We didn't have lapel mics or anything. We just got like a little Yeti microphone and just stuck it in the middle of the car. And because of that, people... And it was very intimate conversations between me and my son. And we hashed out a lot of stuff. Um and because you can hear the air conditioning, the 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 rev of the 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 uh, camper van, people felt like they were really there. However, podcaster friends of mine are like, it's horrible, it's unlistenable, um, because I think once you get even just a taste of how to do audio, bad audio really bothers you. But I should give a shout out. There's a guy called Toby. You can follow him on Twitter. I think he's Foo Cough, Foo underscore Cough. I, I thought you were going to say Toby Haddock. I thought you were talking. No, about no, it's before. a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What is Toby's surname? Toby, Toby Riding. Uh, he's a fan of the show. He approached me uh, at a gig and he went, "I can show you how to do everything." Also, if you've got problem with files, send them to me because it bothers me. And so, quite even- often, I will get great audio, but there's just an issue with it, and I just don't have the skill set. Yeah, he works for he works for Apple and Universal when it comes to sound editing. So he he polishes a lot of my turds. And I feel bad every time I send it, but he is just like, look, first of all, as a fan of the show, I get the raw footage. And second of all, as a fan of the show, I can't listen to what you put out sometimes. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't stomach it. Yeah. Like we had an issue only recently where um, I did a black gig in Birmingham and I started talking about doing black American gigs. And, you know, things are very, very toxic racially right now. And the thing is, this is a routine I would normally do. Because it was in an art center in Birmingham, and I'm talking about black shows in New York, they were kind of going, "Is he confusing us with Birmingham, New York, black New Yorkers?" And then, like, like, and it was super fucking awkward. And then I did some bits that actually got, (gasps) like, it was super fucking weird. And he did such a good job of because I lost them completely in the middle, and it was my fault. And I really wanted to put the awkwardness up. And so he did a great job of actually, like, he's just like, he was, while he was editing it, he was thinking, oh my God, I've got this in my headphones and this is just cringeworthy. And that's actually, thank God, where I learned how to use the, um, the Zoom direct into computer because I could then stop and yell at myself <laughs> while I was on stage. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. it kind of broke it up. But it's, you were saying earlier that made me laugh about, once you start doing DIY, oh, okay. it ends up gone. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. I so I'm learning calligraphy, and to do that, I'm using YouTube because <laughs> I've, I'm a visual learner, so that's good for me. And I've been watching this guy for about three months, like, and he's it's always silent, and he always just shows you the lines. And then he did this video, like, doing a crowdfunding thing, and he's seven, and I, <laughs> and I felt so, like, not. Emasculate is the wrong word, but you know when you just think to yourself, how how are you that? I mean, you must not go out and just do that all the time. <laughs> and I get it because there's not a lot to do when you're seven now, like there was when I was seven or when you were seven. <laughs> I was busy lighting the fire while you were telling me that story, but actually, it's it just off a pre-record. You should have heard the incredulousness of uh, of. Just- <laughs> 
I said, we've got teenagers teaching us how to live. And you went, never mind that. He was seven. <laughs> he was seven. I wish he was 14. Well, he, I was hoping for 14. The kid was fucking seven. Well, here's the thing. Okay, right. Here's the thing. Be good at something at any age. That's fine, right? And if you put the hours in, I'm more. I'm not ageist in any way. I think if you put the hours in and you're good at something, I, it doesn't matter to me that he's seven. However, to do a crowdfunding campaign... To like launch, oh, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like there's there's a whole new level of like you're gonna be like managing the team that don't win on the Apprentice in five years. Like you're gonna be that dickhead who like helps them through something. I don't big. know about that. It's for instance, my son. There's a lot of ways for a teenager to be a millionaire now. Yeah, and they don't have to like be the Alan Sugar going down the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My son is 17. A friend of his is already financially independent. He was financially independent at 16 because he came up with an app. Which app? Uh, the Would You Rather app. Okay, I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah, and my son writes some of the Would You Rathers for him. So he employs his friends. Nice. So, like, you know, that kid's going to be <laughs> yeah minted by by the, the the moment, like, school isn't in his way anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's someone that school is in their way. <laughs> Well, the, the problem I've got with that is, is so I think, I've been listening to Justin Bieber a little bit recently, right? What like, the fuck for? Listen, listen, listen. He can sing, right? You, you can say what you want about him. He can actually sing, yep. right? As in legitimately off mic, no reboot, all that stuff. I think he can actually probably that's sing. At, that's how we started. It yeah, was exactly. YouTube, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was listening to him because I thought, I've never really given him a chance. And my mate was talking about how like good he is at some song. And I was listening to it. And I don't like that he sings about love. Because I don't think at his age he's got a clue. But also, he's shit. Like, when you Google his name, the stuff he's doing is awful. But then I was thinking, if I was a, a, a millionaire pop star at, like, what is he, 19? And I'd never had a no, like, for years. And I had all the money that meant that legal systems didn't really matter anymore. I don't think I'd be much better do you know no, what I mean? Like, no. I'd be awful. Yeah. I think that's the problem, is that, like, if you make it... If it, your son's friend, I don't know, I'm sure he's lovely, but if, if he has that amount of money now, if he gets, like, 25 and doesn't have to worry about anything, I just can't imagine him becoming the best person he could possibly be. No, you know what? He was... Uh, I met him at his graduation, and he had a good head on his shoulders, and my, my kid is surrounded by just... You can tell, just good-natured kids. They're not the jocks. They're not the dicks. They're not overpopular. They're the in-betweeners. I'm kind of... It, it's funny, I had my son on the show recently. My son and I do the show regularly, as does my wife and I, and ratings are up when they're on. Um, you were saying to me that before. Yeah, I, I, and and the thing is, both Luke and Bean, argue, uh, my wife, argue... It's not about us. It's it's. I think fans of yours want to see more of an insight into your, li into your life, and I'm like, that... W okay... That would be the case if it didn't keep on happening. And actually also the online response when they're on. Like Bean and I did a Trump reaction. And it's a good counter as well of just rather than me bouncing off another comic all the time or, 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 or just yelling into the abyss. It is nice to just have the more grounding forces in your life balance it out. I think it, it shows a more rounded human being. And I'd say that would be the case, you know, if the response wasn't such people you know they have their favorite episodes and so on but whenever they're on it's always twitter lights up facebook lights up and then like if you google my name the number one thing that comes up is wife <laughs> oh, no, just just wife just also correct brandon you burns mean wife brandon burns wife <laughs> yeah 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 and, and there's no pictures of her <laughs> it's funny actually i think the uh, the the presumptions of who she might be it's kind of like if you're going to Google images, there's no images of being there. Is that because it's not a real name? 
By oh, okay, fair enough. Because you introduced me to her as Bean, so I presumed it was her name. Because I, do you know, what I did. This is this is slightly off topic, but I, a friend of mine, I can't tell you who, because he promised I promised him I wouldn't say who he was. But he's had a stage name, and he's always given me his stage name. And recently, he had to send me some money, and it came through as a different name. And he just went, "Oh, that's my real name, by the way." And I had like ten minutes where I went, "How have you never mentioned this to me before?" Like he just, it, it's like. It, it's a uh, logistic thing because of his day job, but I was I was like, you'd think at some point because we're actually mates and stuff, you'd think at some point that would come up, or that you'd mention it. I think I didn't find out about Jeffries for the longest time, Jim Jeffries. Oh, that uh, not uh, his no, real no, name. No, oh no, I knew that was his, yeah. Like I I thought that was a stage name from when I heard it, just because it sounded like one. Everyone then, yeah, people think mine is as well because of the double B. Oh no, I didn't think yours was. Uh, particularly because it's Brendan with an O. Oh okay. No, I, I'm, I've got a pretty good gauge for stage names, but his is, I'll tell you afterwards, but it's... Uh, is it Liam Malone? No. Because he's got, he, he didn't, uh, I was like, oh, that's a cool name. And he's like, yeah, no one seems to understand it's a pun. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Oh, okay. No, I didn't, I didn't get the pun, but I, I thought it was... No, no one does. Oh, okay. And now he's stuck with it. <laughs> I had, uh, do you know Ray Peacock? On. Ray Peacock, yeah. yeah. Right. I had him on a few months back and we were talking about how he's had to change his name back to his real name yeah. because uh, rapey wasn't a word when he started out or it wasn't like a, a cultural word as, as such. And as a result, he was saying that the character that he came up with was based on a real person he knew called Ray Peacock. Right. And he went along with it. And slowly, people started thinking it was a, a name, like as in a, a joke name. Yeah. And he got to the stage where he's now thinking, well, he has, I've had to go back to my real name. Ian, isn't it? It's Ian Boldsworth. Yeah. Ian Boldsworth, that's right. But he was like, I just can't stand the amount of people that think I think rapey cock is a funny pun. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It would annoy me if people... I think he might be bullshitting a bit. I think actually when he started out, that's what... And uh, times have changed. I, I'm not entirely sure of that. Okay. I'm not entirely sure of that. I think actually, you know, when he started out, like everyone, he wasn't very good. And he thought, hey, rapycock. And, you know, and I think that was like early no uh, noughties, late 90s. Yeah, he was late. He was so he started in a very non-PC comedy era. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, well, here's the thing. I didn't get the pun until someone... I didn't either. Yeah, someone had to say to me, like, say it to me really slowly to make me get it. And I felt... It was a seven-year-old again. And I... It was a seven-year-old again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had me. <laughs> Your delivery then, there was no... Yeah, I know. There was no facetiousness in the delivery. <laughs> but it was, it, 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 was, it was just such a weird moment where, I, where it clicked and I was like... Oh, that is actually the worst stage possible name for if if that is what it's meant to mean. But I suppose it doesn't matter now because he doesn't get. When someone it. explained it to me, I was like, "Ugh, really?" And I'm not exactly, you know, a, a, a PC act per se. No. Although I would defend the morality of everything I do, but I don't know. I'm working on something now about maybe uh, I had Tom Ballard on the show, and it was good to have him on because he and I were going back and forth, and it was interesting that whilst we were in it, we thought we were arguing. And then listening back to the audio, it was actually we were agreeing emphatically. But just coming at it from different angles. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. And loads of that. My argument was I've lived through PC before, and last time the backlash was grunge music, the Attitude Era in WWE, edgy comedy, and Marilyn Manson, people like that. This time the backlash is fucking Trump's in the White House. 
Yeah. Uh, and it just gets worse every time. So the more PC you get, the, the worse the backlash is. And I was arguing that by calling people racist, sexist, homophobes at the drop of a hat without really analyzing it. And also without really considering that in itself is very mean. That's the worst thing you can call people these days. This is the thing that I was it's, getting at. Yeah. It's up there with racial slurs. Yeah. And certainly. without really analyzing it and calling things politically correct and politically incorrect, then Trump gets to gets to get away with saying just racist shit. Out, you know, out just outright racist lies half the time and then gets to call it politically incorrect. And so it actually works for the other side. Now, the other side has the handle on censorship. Anyone left of center and right of center warned about this. We warned you about this. Like, you're feeding the golem. And the golem, you know, you know what happens in that story? The golem eats you. Not Lord of the Rings golem. Uh, is it German mythology? Not mythology. Folktale? Golem is taken from something else. Do you want me to Google it? I, I, Possibly, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how like bra- brains are now remote? I'm sure. I'm sure there's a child. I had to give you directions to get here because <laughs> it's everyone delegates like yeah. certain parts of their brain. Yeah. Of like, I knew full well when I told you how to get here. You just thought I will drive there and then ring him. <laughs> well, here's the bit. Actually, actually, right. This is the truth of it. When you said to me, you, you, I'm not going to give you directions, but when you, you said to me, go to this landmark. And we're just down the road. You were just down a little cul-de-sac next to it. I, which I think I can leave that in, right? That's yeah. Fine. Yep. I said, I said to you, fine. And I put in the name of the place you told me to put in. Yeah. And Google sent me like two streets around the corner from it, which is weird. Oh, because, Google's yeah, a bit fucked up. Yeah. And I remember pulling over. <laughs> And the reason I was 15 minutes late instead of like five was because when I pulled over, I actually texted a friend to say, I don't want to ring him. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'll call me a millennial cunt. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, do, you know, and do you know why? I, ah, come on, I'm adorable. I, you are. No, here's the thing. So, this is, you want to know the truth of the matter? I texted my friend and I can show you the conversation. I texted her and I said, I don't want to ring him. We've already done this interview once. <laughs> He's letting me come around his house. I don't want to add to this. And we're the only landmark in this village. Exactly, yeah. I don't want to add to the antagony. Uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, I, uh, I can't even think of the word. Antagonistic. I, and, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to add to this at all. So could you do me a favor? My Google doesn't seem to be giving me another address. Can you search for the postcode that he gave me? And she searched for it and she gave me the exact same thing. And I went, I'm going to have to ring him. And she went, oh, no, it'll be fine. You know what I mean? You're probably blown out. Of, you know, you blow stuff out of proportion. She went, no, it'll be absolutely fine. I went, I bet you any money he yells at me. First. You, did. <laughs> you picked up the phone and went, you're the worst. <laughs> yes, but it's all bluster. It's I know, I know. Anything. It, uh, uh, it, is, uh, it saddens me sometimes. I saw an interview with John Robertson, right? Just he was like talking it. about, uh, he did a show about a friend committing suicide. And then he told a story to the interviewee about someone yelling at him about it. And they said, uh, and he he said, he, he mentioned my name to begin with because I said, are you sure you want to do this? Maybe you want to process this in real life before you turn it into comedy. And the, uh, and then he, he told a story about someone yelling at him about, you know, this painful moment in his life. And the interviewer said, well, that sounds like Brendan Burns. And Robertson had to correct him and go, no, he was, you know, it was a horrible time. He was actually really quite kind. It saddens me that that's my reputation with some people that I think probably don't really understand my work or have, I don't know, just got something via gossip. 
I, t- I spoke to Jeff Whiting about this a while ago. He runs Murph Control. And he said, the problem is, is that, so say he doesn't book a comedian, and then a week later he doesn't book another comedian. And comedian one comes out with an idea of why they weren't booked. And then comedian two comes up with the same idea. And then they meet at a gig. And they say, oh, yeah, he didn't book me. I think it's because of this. They then believe the, the idea that they've come up with between them. And then tell someone else. And it pushes gossip around the thing. And then the person who they've come up with the idea about doesn't get a chance to defend themselves. Because obviously they don't know it's happening. Right. And I think that kind of chat happens all the time. I mean, even before we started, we were chatting about people, and, and it's 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 kind of like I mean, we weren't making any assumptions, thankfully, but it, it, we could easily have done, and and we could easily have filled in the blanks, and then gone away with that, and then later on when we think about it, we might not have remembered it as well as we might want to, and then as a result, that impairs our judgment on someone. I, 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 it might, I, it, or yeah, definitely that's part of it, and also it might have something to do with like who was on the show Phil Wang and Sam Simmons and they both said they were very intimidated by me before they met me I'm 5'10 and 3 quarters right (laughs) also where I grew up I'm a performer right I'm a needy performer like anyone else so in my circles when I was growing up I was the flowery one it's hilarious I remember once telling my dad when he was calling me a big girl for some reason. And I went, do you know that in my industry, I'm kind of considered a, a man's man? And my dad just <laughs> cracked up. And he went, what? You? So to further that idea, like both Sam and Phil said, yeah, I was very intimidated until I got in the car with you and you were very, you know, you were very nice and you really supportive when people were starting out. Might be the deaf thing and a slightly booming voice. And I'm not particularly intimidated by audiences. So then maybe people will think that that translates somehow to, to real life. Of like, if an audience is belligerent, I can be belligerent. If I don't, if an audience pisses me off, I can, and I, I let them know that. But that, you know, I, I couldn't live my life like that. You know, you can't, you can't, I don't think anyone can be their act 24 hours a day. I tried once and it nearly killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't, I know you a little bit, but I don't know you well enough to know the difference between your on stage and off stage. So, What's what's the major difference between Brendan? I know I'm going to refer to it as a character, even though it's not. But Brendan, the on-stage persona. Let's go with that. And these days, very little. So you are yourself all the time. <laughs> no, no, I'm just I'm probably more authentic now than I was then. Look, I think there was a label that look. First of all, you know, people are lazy. I've always been an emotive performer, right? I'm a very emotional performer. And sometimes, if I was angry about something, that would manifest itself and anger is the 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 most obvious one it's easy easiest one to spot it's easiest one to label and yet if you were to ask people that come to actually pay money to see me and listen to the podcast and and you know i i don't really filter that much out you know i'm not trying to sell a better version of myself than the one that exists it's a and i i think to be honest there's too much of that i think uh, a a lot of comics I will see them up on stage spouting their left-wing values and off stage, they're really kind of bigoted and they don't know that they... Some some know they are and some don't know they are. And I'm watching them sell this version of themselves and I'm like, you're not... This isn't you. You're, you're not this nice. You're not this decent a person. And so I kind of made a commitment when I started doing the podcast of, right, I'm going to go all out. To begin with, it was just me spouting my frustrations with the industry. And then I then soon found out that people were listening. <laughs> <laughs> and thought, oh, I'd better put some effort into this because the first couple of episodes are fucking unlistenable. It's just, uh, I 
I thought, you know what? Why am I trying to be right about everything all the time? Why am I committing to funny? And funny just involves letting your crazy moron speak sometimes. Just letting your crazy moron fly. Rather than trying to sell a smarter version of you, a, uh, you know, a, high, a, a higher, more moral version of you, the, it just doesn't exist. It's just not real. And I just, uh, and to be honest, when I see that, I see through it and it doesn't make me laugh. I'm like, I'm done. I tune out. Once I committed to that, then the more people started listening and turning up to shows and I was able to tour off the back of it. These moments are very personal and intimate for people and they're not, uh, uh, and they feel a very, very real attachment to you. So I would argue that whilst there are some that would write, he's an angry comic, he's an in-your-face comic, he's a whatever, I think true fans of mine would go, I don't think you know him like I do. I think when people can feel that way about you, it then creates a very, very personal relationship. Fucking hell, I had a guy, (laughs) particularly now between uh, uh, having my wife on the show and my son on the show, having my son on the show, because he's very honest with me, I now also get like guys that are maybe 10 to 15 years younger than me wishing I was their dad. And I had a guy last night, this is the first time this has ever happened. Uh, I've noticed that this tour more than any other is that guys are coming up and saying, that they're starstruck and they didn't expect it. And I'm like, you're not because I'm not that famous. It's just that I'm really in your life. You yeah, know, yeah. it's I'm I'm there while you're on your way to work. I'm there in your quiet moment. I'm in your moments to yourself. That Yeah. I, I'm... I, uh, so I'll let you finish the story. I was going to say something very similar. And so this guy, he got... He, he, this is last night. And th- I rang Bean immediately. I rang... <laughs> I've never had anything like this. So this guy was a bit drunk, right? And he's there with his missus. And he, and, he, and he wanted to convey to me how much the show meant to him and that, like, you know, he's actually gone through a depression and it lifted him out of it because I think when I started the show, I was definitely in the middle of being quite depressed. And he goes, you don't know what the show means to me. It just, it, it really got through my, and I'm working night shifts now and it's just what gets me through it. And and then he goes, can I have a photo with, with you, me and my missus? And he did a bit too much to drink. And his missus on my right, and he's on my left, and he just hugs me, but looking for that hug that his dad obviously never gave him. Oh. But he dry humped my leg a bit, <laughs> and then let in, he did, and he couldn't help himself. And in my ear, he made this noise, <sighs> Brendan. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so sweet and, uh, and creepy at the same time. I went, I think it just came on my leg. Like, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I pissed myself laughing. I, I thought you were pissed on him. They're like, <laughs> no, I fucking cracked up because I've been in that moment. I remember when I met The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and those guys are amazing at giving people their time as well. I learned something from it, uh, the way that he treated me was I was, again, going through a very, very heavy depression and, and, and working on quite an alcoholic drug-induced career i hadn't left the house for like i hadn't smiled in three months it was after a rather very heavy duty breakup and i was on a crash course to nothing good sorry when people say things like that i imagine them actually crossing off days going not today not today not not rock bottoming today (laughs) no no smiling today (laughs) (laughs) oh i see Yeah, yeah yeah no i mean i even like still have the the scars on my face the lines from not smiling Oh really? Yeah, like you see Obama when he came out after the uh, yeah. uh, when he when he walked out with Donald Trump. Yeah, you see that sad, thin smile, the grim. Yeah, and it's like, but there's a furrowed brow with it. Yeah, yeah. If you do that for like a year or so, 
which is definitely what I did. I've seen photos from that that time, and every photo I'm just so sad. What, one of my favorite photos of all time is the one of Obama and um, Trump st- sitting in the White House, and it's like you know that moment where like you've got a mutual friend who's gone to the toilet and you've run out of things to say. <laughs> it looks like that. It looks like they're just like you know. So what do you what do you do? What do you, <laughs> what do, you like, do? Well, I think what kind of happened was it was supposed to be a 15-minute meeting and it went 90 minutes and Trump went, how, how successful is that? It was supposed to be 15, it went 90. And it's because that's because he had to explain to you everything that you physically can't do. Well, no, I, I have a lot more respect for, I mean, I had a lot of respect for Obama before, but did you hear that he's now offered to uh, mentor him, like as in to help him through the first like six months of it, which I think is amazing character to for a person of another party yeah. to go, you know what? I'll walk you through how this works for the first six months. I think also he probably pointed out to him this system that you claim you're going to tear down is the only thing keeping you alive for the next six months. And I think he probably told him a bunch of... I remember when Thatcher stepped down. Uh, no, just before... Not long before Thatcher stepped... Uh, uh, before her death, Thatcher admitted, when you're prime minister, they take you into a room and they tell you a bunch of things that only the prime minister can know. And you age eight years that day. Every single prime minister and president ever since then has gone grey overnight. Except for Bush. Didn't seem to give a fuck. I think I'm he guessing knew. he already knew. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got the, he's got the look of someone who's who knew it and thought, actually, yeah. I want to know more. <laughs> and then I think, yeah, Trump came out absolutely terrified and went, oh, the only thing keeping me alive is this guy. Because it's it's not the lefties that are going to get, they've, they've got broom handles. It's his lot. The far right, when it turns out he can't do half the stuff anyway, I'm going into shtick now. No, no. I, I've got I, bits on this. I've got a, a running uh, kind of friendly bet with a friend of mine that someone out in America has a bullet with his name on it, but they're waiting because they want to know they've killed President Trump, not President-to-be Trump. You know what I mean? Because who wants to be the guy that killed the guy that was getting... It'll be one of his far-right people. Yeah. They're armed to the teeth. Oh, yeah. Bean made the joke the other day, I think, even on the show. Was it, if there is someone pulling the strings, (laughs) if there is someone pulling all the strings, of course they went with pissing off the left. Because they write with broom handles. Yeah. The other lot don't get their way. They're fucking, they're tooling up yeah, with yeah. hammers. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. So uh, we, we digressed. What were we talking about? I feel like it's going to keep coming back to Trump. It seems to be with all my conversations these days. Oh my God. But I mean, he is a, he is a example of, I mean, I mean, I, I can't really make a, like, I can't segue it back into my podcast, my general, you know, topics for the podcast. But he does make a lot of people who previously didn't have a voice or previously didn't feel like they could speak up who are sexist, racist, misogynistic, come out and speak. Well, also, um, and we are partially responsible for that. I don't know where you're leaning. I'm, I'm, left, I'm left of centre. I'm left on every issue that I've educated myself on. Because yep. I haven't I haven't educated myself on everything. So I don't like saying I'm left because there might be an issue at some point. Where I, I'm right. I would never commit to a single socio-political exactly. agenda, which is why sometimes the left hasn't quite embraced me. <laughs> and yet I'm like, on what issue am I not? Yeah, but I, I just haven't... I, I'd rather not say I'm fully left because if... It's a bit like when you're born and your parents go, you're this religion, and you're like, I've not done any research into this. Like, I don't want to just tie myself into this label... And or, like, or exactly, or tie yourself to it because you've been told that that's just the right way to think. Well, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I, 
I'm the guy who, uh, at Brexit, was tweeting saying, look, if you're voting out, could you just tell me why? Because I, I don't want to have a go at you. I don't want to belittle you. That's your vote, and I don't think I'm going to be able to convince you otherwise. But tell me why, because I just need to know why you would vote out. Because I can't find a reason for myself to do that. And I got retweeted by, I think it was called, like, the Leave, like, you know, Twitter handle or something like that. And it had, like, 100,000 followers. And I got mauled by loads of people going, this lefty fucking idiot wants to, you know, learn about... And I was like, yes, I do. Yeah. And, but then loads of people after that wave came over to me and were like, right, I'm going out because I want a stop on immigration. I want my country back. I want this. And then some people were like, oh, I just don't think that, you know, we, we, we get much out of being in it. Or I just don't understand why we need to be in it. We've been in it for so long and I don't see it. You know, all this, like... Well, it got sold on a racist ticket. And then we on the left got played like a fiddle in that they would use racist rhetoric. They had racist billboards. Look at these brown people coming. And we all went, look how racist that is. And then racists went, wait, wait, I can vote for racism? And now they're running around acting like they won something because we labeled it that and we helped label it that. Is the, the right used it and we advertised it. And then now we have these horrible stories of people walking up to people in the street and it's happening in America now as well. Of people going, get out, Trump, Trump won. Yeah. Racism won. It's a total misunderstanding of, right, just because someone's been elected, like you said, just because they've been elected on those policies, A, doesn't mean they can implement those policies, and B, doesn't mean they want to. I'm convinced that half of Trump, the stuff Trump said, he said for publicity more than what he was going to want to do. He, I think he even admitted that he listened to right-wing radio. Also, he just said things that got a clap. And once, once it was like people cheered something, he went, oh, that worked. I'll say that. My, my biggest problem with Trump is something that I've not seen anyone, at least in the mainstream media, covering. And it's the lie he sells, which is that your feelings are more important than your rights. And I don't think that's fair to say. He goes up and he gives you a feeling. That's a bit, huh? That's a bit of the, the latest show. Oh, I've not seen your latest show. <laughs> but, but I say, I say it about, about PC. And I say, just here to tell you kids that your rights are important, your fucking feelings aren't. Okay, I've not seen your show. No. I didn't come here to tell you your own joke. No. But, it, no. but that's the thing that winds me up about him is he gets up and he gives you a feeling. Yeah. And then and then in the middle of that feeling goes, also we hate immigrants. And then and then moves on really quickly. And you, you're, you're still reeling from that feeling going, woo, yeah. And then you just ignore that he said horrible things. Whereas he can't say anything to protect your rights or to do anything with those because that would involve being good at the job. Yeah. And he's not good at the job. No. So he's like, and I keep comparing him to Russell Brand in many ways, because Russell Brand's videos, you watch those, I watch those sometimes, and at the end of it, I'm like, yeah, there's going to be a revolution. And then a cat video comes on, and I go, I'll, I'll deal with a revolution in a bit. <laughs> I'm enjoying the feeling. <sighs> this feeling's good. <laughs> well, I, I think Russell is distancing himself from that now, because I, maybe self-awareness has kicked in, and that he vacationed in Africa. And it was kind of, unfortunately for him, I think every performer and every comedian and every performer at some point goes through some sort of messianic complex when people are clapping and applauding you. Unfortunately for him, he did it at the height of his fame. There's a guy that used to do heroin, right? So that's an addictive personality. He got movies, he got a TV show, married to the number one pop star on the planet. And somewhere the addict in him went, it's not enough. I got to be Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. I've got to be Jesus. None of that was enough. It was like, you know what? I'm going to heal the world. And of course, fucking broke white working class people. 
It's so funny now that so many celebrities are confused. But I said I wanted Hillary. But I stepped up and it's like, they don't relate to you. They're like, fuck you. You're minted. Don't tell me how to live. Don't it? You know, and I think somewhere when people were just calling people racist, sexist, misogynists, uh, homophobes or whatever at the drop of a hat, I think while no one was watching anonymously, a whole bunch of people went, I'll fucking show you. I'll fucking show you racist, sexist, misogynist. I don't, I don't think it was a conscious like flash mob of voting i think it was a hive mind of everyone realizing oh we can't say it out loud yep. we can say it in the booth. and now and now that it's happened and it's kind of policy well yeah. they think it's policy now they're saying it out loud here's the thing i want racists to be vocal in the sense that i want to know who is racist so i can talk to them and understand why they are because otherwise there's no way of even understanding it let alone working on trying to change their point of view if you're quiet about it and you only talk about it with your mates you get that lad culture thing of you know Oh, we're just bantering. And it's like, you're not though, are you? Because you mean... I I don't know. I mean, the Trump grabbing by the pussy thing, that brought up, I think, a lot of questions for a lot of guys. Sorry, I didn't let you finish. No, no, go on. I, at first, forgive me if this sounds like shtick, because it is. It's a bit. But I'll just do the point, not the jokes. Yeah, don't don't make this podcast funny or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'd hate to break... Heaven forbid. I'd hate to break with convention on this one. (laughs) Because what is the topic anyway? I suppose it's It's DIY, isn't it? It's about the industry. But the thing is, inherent the the industry is informed by politics more and more anyway so because because yeah. in terms of business dealings and in terms of the way that people perceive first of all mainstream but also what's sellable yeah and what's allowed to be said i think politics is definitely something that we can discuss and we can move into i suppose it does move into the the diy thing because yeah. the podcast it, 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 i think anyone that starts one it morphs into what it's going to be yeah and eventually after a while i was like i'm in a different country every other day I'm writing a new 20 minutes in front of different cultures. And I was raised on the UK circuit to think that no one has a sense of humor about themselves but white British people. And that just hasn't been my experience. So, yes, it's... And I've had to have a look at this recently in that in the show, I have been addressing that maybe left of center and right of center need to come together because we're in the middle of a war on reason. But also the idea of punching up, punching down, all of that. And political correctness com- compartmentalizes into white and other. And it still sells white as superior. But, but that's... I it th- does. I think, that, no, but I think that's ma- media driven more than anything at this point. Yeah. Like I, th- I think the media have a narrative that means that... And that's the one they're sticking with. And, and they could easily... I mean, for example, if Murdoch wasn't the owner of all of the things that he's the owner of and someone else took over tomorrow and wanted to make another race the predominant one on that or the or the or the one the superior one of those i think that would have a ripple effect against absolutely all of that but but i think and i've learned from doing the show of just talking to people because people label black as just black and it's like africa is europe ain't shit europe isn't shit europe isn't even a billion people we're fucking nothing right africa is like what 52 countries or something it's massive right so many languages so many cultures so many subcultures everyone just goes black i'm like what the fuck you know asia it's just everyone else eats us. And the idea that we still refer to other ethnicities as ethnic minorities and it is politically correct to do so. I'm sorry. That's. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just not right. Technically, ethically, emotionally, statistically, on every level, that's wrong. Uh, because it's, we're the minority, and that's okay. But it's like you said, we're la- well, people are lazy. It's easy to just go, they're black, or they're Chinese, or whatever it would be, and not sort of think, hang on, I wouldn't, so for example, I wouldn't like it if someone said, oh, you're a Londoner, like, and just batch me together in just that group of people. Yeah. Because a South London person is different to a North London person, or a West London, or whatever, you know what I mean? There's so many nuances and variations between how you've been brought up, and, and economic, whatever, you know? Yeah. So, if I would be insulted by that, I work as best I can not to in my head especially because that's where it happens sometimes like it doesn't happen out loud very often because I don't believe in it and I only like to say things I believe but in your head sometimes it auto corrects and does that you know stupid oh it's all all the same there yeah. just just yes. to make your life easier and I don't like it at all but it happens and I but think I, I, I think we've demonized it too much that no one wants to own the moments and it's so much easier to point the finger elsewhere and that's certainly something I've learned from doing the show is first of all anyone that declares themselves as woke fuck off I don't even know what that is woke means you now understand the Black Lives Matter movement and everything and it's all kind of very self-congratulatory and, and self-defining and, and, and very self-important and kind of it, to me it's kind of pompous but from interviewing people of different sexuality, ethnicity, and gender to me, somewhere along the way, we confuse curiosity with bigotry. Now, I'm a straight white male. I live on a farm. I was raised in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah, can I There's just, shit I don't know. Can I, can I pause you very quickly? As you were saying before, people preconceive you as a bit of a, a man's man masculinity thing. When I arrived here, this is not where I thought you lived. <laughs> I did not think, oh, oh, yeah, Brendan, he'll live on a farm. He'll live, like, and it's not your farm either. You live no. in a cottage yeah. on someone else's farm. Yeah. And it was like this moment where I was like, I think he's hiding out here from the mafia. <laughs> like this, the mafia. Yeah. It's like, like something's happened and he's having to like redirect people. That's why you were like, come to this landmark. Don't I'm going to teach you how to swing an axe if you want. <laughs> that, uh, uh, in the dark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, we we had a farm when I was a so, kid. So for you or that seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, so. 
London drove me mad as well. So I think I, I need like, to live remotely. I like living where I live. But I was going to ask you about this because increasingly I've noticed, especially comedians who are full-time, in whatever capacity they uh, define that as, they are increasingly not living in London. They're, they're working in London, but they just, they've moved either to the Midlands or a little bit out. And I, I, I feel priced out of London. I'm definitely not someone who earns enough, even for, with a day job, and comedy to live anywhere in zones one through six. I mean, and that comes into politics again because of the way that that's come about. But I was going to ask you, go on, sir, I thought you were going to say something. No, no, no. Carry on. I was just going to ask what you think about that move because the, the industry is still seen as very London-centric. I think in your first 10 to 15 years, London, New York, or LA, it's got to be one of those places so that you're surrounded by other comics and that iron sharpens iron, you know, and that you're tossing bits around working off one another. I think maybe my work dipped when I first moved out here and, and I was also financially secure, which I think was the death, the death of comedy. Why were you, what, you mean you were making enough? I, I just got lucky. I made a couple of lucky investments and I sold my house at the right time. So I kind of rested on my laurels a bit and I think I stopped being relevant. And then with that came a, a, a lack of drive, a lack of purpose and... I think somewhere under it, I was running away from acknowledging that I was probably in the middle of a bit of a funk. What? what when was that? What year was that? Um, oh, maybe about five, six years ago or something. So you've been going how long? Twenty-seven next year. Twenty. So you've been going twenty-two years at that point. Yeah. When you moved out of London. Yeah. What was that? Because it was that when you because you basically stopped doing circuit pretty much for a while. It's funny. I heard an urban myth. I was on the Stuart Goldsmith podcast he goes i heard that once you won the perrier you rang up and cancelled all your gigs did you, did you no, do that? never happened okay. but also i've heard that rumor about eight different comics when they won the perrier <laughs> <laughs> why would they, why would you do that though? Uh, yeah I, I i i didn't i mean there was yeah, but what would be the reason why that would be a rumor that would come about like is it a case of oh, oh, because get- you just won the thing that everyone kind of wants to in the uk everyone kind of, well maybe less so now i'm not that fast <laughs> but before everyone was self-producing and DIY, pretty much the Edinburgh Festival was your only in. And it was also the only place where you were free to make your own content. No matter who you were, no matter what following you had, you had a room, a time slot, and you were in the same place every night for a month. And and you had time to work on something and produce it. And, you know, so you still... you. You didn't know how to use technology yet, but you self-produced. And, and that was your in. And then to be nominated, and then that was... You know, that was the be-all kind of end-all for, for a good 15, maybe 20 years. So everyone always dreamt of winning the Perrier now, Edinburgh the Award newcomer. or whatever. It was the hardest one to... No, no, no there didn't even used to be a newcomer award. They only started that, I think, when Scott Capuro won it. No, Harry Hill. Harry Hill was the first ever newcomer. And I think they even made it up because he was so good but shortlisted. So I think, yeah, a lot of my generation, there was... All of a sudden, you know, you find out who your friends are and aren't, and everyone has an opinion on you. Everyone has an opinion on your show without having seen it. And then I think I was pushed into, I was pushed into, I was pushed into a lot of, there was definitely a lot of square peg round hole going on for a couple of years. But, you know, I did fairly well out of it, uh, but I certainly discovered who I wasn't and what I wasn't capable of doing. I think there's a lot of, there's a real tendency as well of like niche comics like myself that something we're not good at, we just pretend it's no good, you know, so they, you know, you hear guys go like, oh, that live at the Apollo, fuck that. 
or panel shows. I don't do panel shows. And it's like, you can't do panel shows. Yeah. I, you know, you wouldn't be good at that. I'm better at long form. Like even now you're having a hard time getting a, a word in edgewise and it's your show. That's all right. You're making very good points. So I can't really <laughs> fault it. So a podcast is perfect for me because it's long form and I can, and you know, I also, I can, I produce everything. It kind of, it's lit a fire under my ass. It's, it's built this fan base. It's, it's, you know, it, it's made doing this my way possible. Oh, here was the point I was going to make earlier. We've come full circle. So with the Trump thing and the left and the right and punching up and punching down and, and, and so much defining going on and people being exhausted and Brexit backlash and Trump backlash and some comics very confused right now. Because it's like, but we all took the piss. Why did, why did that not work? Surprisingly, your joke didn't change the world. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, your jokes didn't change the world. And I think people are just exhausted by us telling them how to think and being just a little bit just a little bit condescending. And that's kind of what the show is about, is when I watch a guy on stage talk about Farage or or, or just, just says everything that you're supposed to, I'm always like, all right, this is all well and good, but when were you racist? You know, when were you homophobic? When did you fuck up? And that's why the podcast is called Dumb White Go, Dumb White Guys. It's basically my flaws and I try to own stuff. And I've been doing that for three years now. And I'm always guilty of everything I declare I'm not doing on the show. It always happens invariably. I will fall ass backwards into whatever I'm trying not to do, I will end up doing. And that's not intentional. It just happens that way. And then. Well, no, but it, you always become the thing you hate kind of thing, you know? Oh, no, no. I just laugh and shrug it off in those oh. moments. You know, if I'm interviewing a gay comic, I'll, I will no doubt do something homophobic, but I don't know any better. But, you know, I'm a straight white male, so I'm trying to understand them, but at the same time, trying to help them understand me. And then the Jonathan Pye video came out. Which one? The, the one about Trump. and yeah, the one done like four on there. Yes, okay, but it was the one that went viral recently. Oh, yeah, And he's yeah. tearing into the left by saying, stop yelling at people, sexist, racist, misogynist, and actually sit down and listen to one another. And my first thought was, I've been saying that for years. Yeah. Why didn't I go viral? And then I thought, that's it. That's what everyone's fed up of because I'm a performer. And it's like George Carlin said. He opened a show one year, uh, one of his specials with, let's be honest. You're here for me. I'm here for me. Let's move on. And I think somewhere we want to own facts. Like it's even happened during this interview is you've said some things I've said and I've gone, oh, I've done that. Well, that belongs to me. And so I think as performers, people are sick to death of us not being honest that we care more about ourselves than the message. And by acknowledging that uh, and, 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 and being honest, uh, I think, with myself, when I saw the, the Jonathan Pye thing, and I thought, whoa, whoa what's that? And I thought, maybe that's at the forefront of this. And I've spoken to a couple of comics about it, saying, I'm struggling with my Brexit bit, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm splitting the room. Is anyone else struggling with this? And I think it's because, you know what? I think people see through it. I think, first of all, the, the, there's a contract, and the contract is you get to talk about yourself for 90 minutes so long as the payoff is you make me laugh, release some endorphins, and take me away from my shitty life. Somewhere along the way, we lost that, you know, and somewhere along the way, we started being really disingenuous and started all white knighting it and, and, and letting our messianic, uh, messianic complexes speak just a bit too fucking much. And, you know, uh, uh, what's her name? Katy Perry? Yeah. yeah. I think Katy Perry at the Hillary Clinton thing and, and Miley Cyrus, you know, bursting into tears afterwards going, but I'm so upset. I'm so upset. And everyone's like, fuck you. Fuck you, you spoiled child. And, and and that's all we are. You know, if we get to do this for a living, we're spoiled children. I yeah, I, I think it's 
also kind of intrinsic to mainstream and i use that term loose, loosely because i don't like it as a term anyway but mainstream audiences because generally speaking people who will watch tv comedy and then go and watch that tv comic at uh, an arena generally speaking expect to have stuff reaffirmed rather than and and in fact when we gigged together you even said the, the one of the first things you said when you came off stage to me was um how there was a heckler in the room who the one bit I made about the local area lapped it up and made and then started trying to make it about the the audience in the room. Or do you remember the, yes. the yeah? And it was like I was trying to do other things. I was trying to talk about other points and and other things that have nothing to do with where we were in the country. It doesn't matter where we were. But it was this whole you know. I, and I think audiences, uh, not all of them, but I think some audiences want their want to just hear about. And you've spoken about this before want to hear about themselves in yeah. some ways and where I am i in your act exactly selfies in the grand canyon it's my latest specials up on uh next up comedy there you go yeah go watch it but after this <laughs> leave it streaming in the background leave it buffering in the background so i did it again <laughs> well yeah but i i know but i mean i i've, I've I, this is really refreshing because i've had so my first show was about overthinking life and trying not to and failing to not do that right and this new show is becoming so much more about weird ideas that are just stupid and silly and in between that talking about how i'm ultimately anxiety ridden and flawed and I and I don't know how to be better because I because I'm not talking to enough people from enough places to do that that's not in the show but it's just what I'm learning about it from talking about it so the the Michael Jackson joke that I did uh, that you saw at the the gig about how um, I saw a comedian saying that he was mad for changing his skin color and I was saying I would I'd do the same if I was in America in the 1970s why would you why yeah. would you not do that you know <laughs> and it's and it's like it's it's like that I mean and and, and I was, I've been talking to, I talked to a black comic friend of mine about that and I said I'm worried I'm being racist and he went no no I saw you do it when you first did it and you sounded racist and now you sound like you're on our side because you know that it was horrible yes but it's because, but it's because I spent time actually like looking into it and trying to understand what the point of it was and it's like I don't want the audience going away from that with I think white's better I yeah, yeah somewhere along the way um, it's easy in that kind of area to do somewhere that somewhere along the way and it is PC that did that black became an insult yes well it's, it, even inherently in comedians and I see this in my friends all the time and I correct them a lot because if they say they had an urban gig I go do you mean a black gig yeah because I don't I. it's not an urban gig no it, it, it's that was one of the scariest things Trump said to me uh, said said sorry to me <laughs> sorry to me that was one of the scariest things Trump said that's going to be a great upcoming episode of your podcast interesting <laughs> isn't it that uh, yeah I think it, it, to reaffirm that idea as well as that people want to own facts so you see some comics tweeting shit going like I noticed this and it's like this is my fact a lot of, there's a lot of auto or you know autodidacts but the scariest thing to me that he said was at a rally and there was not that much made of it and he said they want to keep the polls open so that in the inner cities certain people can vote you know who i mean but i'm not going to say who because i can't but you know who i mean who doesn't live in the inner city that effectively is a blanket statement of just whoever you fucking hate whoever you're afraid of i just i'm on board like whoever it is i'm on board because the inner cities that's that's everyone that's, there's no one that, you know, that's where multiculturalism is. That's where different, you know, sexualities and sexual orientations are. That's like, it's the lot. It's everyone but you. Whatever you've got going on in your head, fucking vote for that. And I think that might have been the idea. To, to, to tie it back to comedy, to sort of try and get it back into industry stuff here. 
in terms of that kind of idea of comedians doing that sort of not that sort of thing but a similar thing of going i'm going to aim for being not middle of the well, i suppose middle of the road is the best way of describing it with, without a, a, without spending five minutes trying to think of a better term but you know being middle of the road or being just as sellable as possible for a mass market if they don't want to do the diy route essentially because this route that i would say we're both on is not harder or less hard than, than what they're doing. Like you said, it's more of building a relationship with an individual than you might do if you just get chucked on TV and then chucked in an arena. Oh, yeah. And there's a, you know, and there's a, a less negotiable contract. Yes. You know, it's like, do what I saw on telly. There's fucking thousands of us. I just did, um, Katie Wilkins has got a documentary coming up and it's kind of changed the course and it is like uh, the relationship between comedy and Trump and comedy and the left and the right. Again, I, you know, I, I, I've been harping on it until I'm blue in the face of just like comedy's the wrong fucking target. You know, it's the wrong, you know, it, it, I, I, I never finished talking to Tom uh, about talking about uh, my conversation with Tom Ballard. He then argued afterwards like, well, we both said, actually, simultaneously, we need to get rid of politically correct and incorrect. I've been working on something recently about, like, let's just start labeling things fucked and not fucked. Because I remember the first time around, the first cycle, the reason that my generation rebelled against political correctness and incorrectness was it started with alternative comedy and they labeled themselves non-sexist, non-racist. Sounded pretty nice. All well and good. I get that it was a backlash to the working class men's clubs of the, the Dickie Bow and the, there were the two black fellas, the Bernard Benning black, uh, backlash. Now, what I've argued with that generation that were rebelling against that is that's not the London you live in anymore. This is now the feeder system to the world circuit. And there are comedians from around the world that grew up watching Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Carlin, people who did address race, that did address culture. And you live in a multicultural society and it should be addressed and it should be okay to make jokes about it, not made up white stereotypes, because that's what that previous music hall, I don't know what you call them, 70s comedians shit was. It was white lies. I get why you want to rebel against that, but I've never seen it. Sorry, in my head, the reason I laughed at that was because I had white lies. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Nothing to do with yeah. that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It was just, there was a black fella. He was a thief. And anyway, he raped my wife or whatever. Now, I never saw that guy. He wasn't relevant to me. So I don't know. And you can't ask now that you have a cultural hub and a world hub that this is the feeder system to the international circuit. You're going to have to adapt because also once they stopped calling it alternative comedy, non-sexist, non-racist, and they started labeling it politically correct and incorrect as satirists, it was our job as com- no fuck satirists, satirist comedy's poor cousin as comics. It's our job to call bullshit when we see it. And we were like, wait a minute. That's a fucking oxymoron. Politically correct and incorrect is a contradiction in terms that's supposed to be up for discussion. And now if you're all of a sudden just going to jettison what you think into politically correct and incorrect, and also, by the way, the truth doesn't figure in there, then fuck you. We're going we're gonna to kick back. So, yeah, we did, you know, really kind of ripped the piss out of PC for about 10 years. And then this time around, it got so insane and maybe left of center and right of center need to come together because we're in the middle of a war on reason. And I get that leading up to the election, we all kept our mouths shut because we were trying to keep a demagogue out of the White House. But now it's maybe time that we got rid of our hystericals and stopped pandering to our more hysterical ends because on the left, our hysericals didn't vote. And on the right, theirs did this time. 
there is a war on reason and the his, more hysterical elements of the left are fucking retarded you know uh the apathetic uh, the left is never left enough they are everything that the right wants to call all of the left right on the right there are colossal gun-toting insane uneducated bigots and they're on the far end of that but people right of center aren't that people left of center aren't that so we need to stop calling each other those names uh because this is a very very dangerous this lack of discussion ended up somewhere really fucking dangerous it's, it's the same as what you were saying before where you say people batch all black people as black people batch all lefties as left even though there is a spectrum there same with the right I, yep. i've been guilty of this before as well where i've just gone oh all the rights believe this and it's like do they though yeah because i've got a few mates who are more right-leaning than i am i wouldn't i would not put them as fully right-leaning much like i don't 100 percent say i'm fully left-leaning but you know they're not racist in any way they, they just have different beliefs in certain areas and you can be right and not racist you can be left and racist and it's just weird to me how these things get lumped together and in, and in comedy i find lazy comedy in that area uses that as the joke they sort of stereotype a group of people and go oh hyperbole that stereotype and that'll be the easy thing the thing that really pissed me off during the election was lazy political comedians insulting his how trump looks that is the last thing you should be insulting he is yes he looks comical and i i suppose there are a million and one ways and a million and one things you could pick on him and say you don't look like i think you should look but then how are you any less racist than he is turning to people that he doesn't like the look of and saying i don't like them they shouldn't be in my country but you can however turn it into like, uh, for instance, I have something now about um, people voted for him going, he's one of us. He's a billionaire. How's that? And then behind closed doors, it was like, yeah, but he's white. I'm like, he's not even that. He's like a weird Scouse Orange. Cheap joke or whatever. But it's still, uh, it, it, it is a reflection upon how he looks, but it does kind of reinforce the stance. Yeah. yeah but or the, lack thereof that he is taking. But what, you're, but what I'd argue you're doing with that joke is you're taking the racist rhetoric of, oh, he's one of us because we're white, and making that absurdity look even more absurd. You're not necessarily... It's, that joke to me is not about how he looks. That is about how they're reacting to how he is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I've heard people make jokes about, you know, oh, his comb over looks ridiculous or whatever. And you're like, have you heard his policies recently? Can- I think also, like, all, you know, the, the, the lazy... Don't fucking run before you can walk. There was one guy actually... Um, He's hosted it and I've given him shit every time I've I've done his 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 gig afterwards of Brexit is this year's Savile, Jimmy Savile. Yeah, I know I'm trying to work out how that's a thing. Quick fit punchline. Like you can just say it and not really done any work. Yeah, but so I, you can go, anyone vote Brexit? Are there any racists in? Right? And that's the yeah. joke. And it's like, really? That's how is it sa- I don't understand the uh, Savile connection. Okay, Jimmy Savile. I know what Savile I know who Savile Catch is. your punchline, right? Like you don't you don't even have to be a particularly good comic to go like die. Oh, yeah, you, you look a bit Jimmy Savile, right? So it's so it's like going, this is a Holocaust or something. You know, it's just it's just saying something horrible. It's the- it's this year's Savile in that like you don't really need any particular skill set. You don't need to have written a joke. You can get a cheap laugh in front of dumb cunts. Yeah, you see, I didn't. You can get a cheap laugh in front of the the casual fan just by reaffirming whatever the hack stance is, mm. and the hack stance is who voted Brexit? You're racist. And I would argue that leading up to Brexit, there were some people that were just slightly right-leaning. 
sitting in that room just with their heads hunched in and then when no one was watching anonymously they got to go fuck you and tick leave talking about diy we'll go we'll go to that yes that's I, what the topic was wasn't it yeah i know I, we talked for an hour and 15 before it <laughs> we got before we to, got around to the actual well no but to be honest with you i think i think a lot of what we've said is inherent in in the industry and 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 you famously i suppose stopped, really well <laughs> you famously i'm gonna say it um it was your chortle thing that, that really like caught my attention for you which was when you said I don't really do clubs. I don't do them anymore. And and your reasoning for it was, was succinct and, and was rational. And I think it's got worse in a lot of respects. Um, and from what you've said, from when I heard it to now. And I mean, but I, but I met you in a club. So I suppose you sort of do it on and off. Yeah. Now. <laughs> no, but I don't tour comedy clubs. The reasoning for that was it wasn't an adversarial act. It was actually an act of cowardice. Because... I was, you know, I had the fan base. I had a, I could cert, I could sell a certain number of tickets, and then I could spend several grand on trying to get an extra twenty bums on seats, and those twenty bums belonged to cunts. And I would have fans come up to me afterwards. Uh, the last special I did was called Selfies in the Grand Canyon, and it was about how much everyone needed to see themselves and everything. And even in that show where I was explaining how much people needed to see themselves and everything of where am I in your act? I've got, I live on the third floor. Like not only do people want jokes about, you do jokes about toasters. I think it was, I became inadvertently the toaster guy. They want to hear jokes about your specific toaster, which I think someone told me they ended up attributing to Stuart Lee. It's funny. You write anything that chimes with people. It ends up being apparently Stuart Lee wrote it. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you know, did I t- did I tell you I got reviewed in Chortle at the New Act of the Year three years ago, two three years ago, and Julia Chamberlain, the start of her review said the white skinny Stuart Lee for me, and I was like, um, oh, oh hello, hello kitten, that's my three legged cat, he's adorable, Aww. isn't he? Skedaddle, I'll come say hi in a minute. See, not so scary now, am I? Um, although I did cut his fucking leg off because he was talking shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bane, Skabobble's here. Skedaddle's here. He needs feeding. Uh, no, we're just wrapping up this interview. All right, he can wait. Fuck him. <laughs> we're leaving that in. Uh, <laughs> hey. Everyone will know you're a heartless bastard. I'm gonna leave that in. Uh, um, fuck him. No, he's a fat cunt anyway. Right. Um, he's what? been e- he's been eating too much. Uh, so I, uh, I, it's funny. I in, I uh, yeah, it's like uh, I spoke to him a couple of years ago, going like, do you know that you're like a sacred cow now? Because I think he's brilliant. I think he's hilarious. He makes me laugh. I even had him on the show, and I knew that was a double-edged sword to have him on the show, because I knew his fan base was going to hate me. Admittedly, by my own flawed, and I laboured over it for ages as well, because every comic apparently has heard the interview. And he's quite petulant at the top, but I also let professional jealousy get the better of me. And I think I, but I also attack his fan base, basically saying that he does cater to a fan base. He does stroke their ego a bit that apparently they understand comedy better than comedians do, which he will, you know, completely admit off, uh, off mic. That's fucking insane. (laughs) That is preposterous. And I did think like, this is probably going to be the most downloaded interview should I try and endear myself to these people? And then I thought, no, because I've seen the way they behave in his shows and they're actually quite a mean-spirited crowd. And also, I don't spoon-feed anything, Whereas uh, but there are some bits that he does that he spoon-feeds and then the crowd congratulates themselves for getting it, 
which, to his credit, in the last season, he tears into them for. Mm. Because, of course, he knows what he's doing better than that. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure enough, it got put up here, there, and everywhere. And, you know, I get messages about once once a week going, you're a terrible interviewer. just seems like you're trying to assert yourself. And it's like, well, it's not an interview. It's a podcast. It's my show. And it's, you know, I've known him for years and we both respect each other. So just because you've never heard of me, deal with that. But in hindsight, I do think professional jealousy got the better of me. And, and I, and I labored over it for ages, thought, should I change the intro to this? And so on. I thought, no, fuck it. You know what? Filter the crowd, filter the audience. You know, the whole point of the show is don't sell a better version of myself than the one that exists. Sometimes I am bitter. Sometimes I am envious. You know, I am not adverse to playing bigger rooms. That's ultimately what I want to do, but it needs to be my lot. And there's some sort of really pretentious part of me that feels the audience needs to have endured something to understand me. <laughs> so I was going on the road and even in this show, sorry, I segued terribly there, in a show that was about people needing to see themselves and everything, there was a guy and it was at a reputable comedy club. It was at one of the best comedy clubs in the country, The Stand, even at The Stand. And they have a, they had a mailing list of, the, it, it was the year that 150 show, comedy shows were touring. 150 comedians were touring comedy clubs. And I busted my ass to get these extra 20 seats. I sold the room out, whatever. And this guy's sitting in the front fucking row on his phone, uh, fidgeting with his phone, and he has to be the center of attention. I tear into him, and he does this thing where he, like, he histrionically waves his arms about and puts his hand over his head as even like, oh, I'm going to get it now. And then he just did that with every heckle. But he just kept on interrupting, stepping on punchlines, everything. Then towards the end of the show, uh, he's at the bar. I've told him to shut the fuck up. And then they flash me the light because it's during the fe- I think it's during the festival and they've got another show coming on or something. And I've only got 15 minutes to finish. And I said, shit, I've only got 15 minutes to finish. Okay, let me rush through this bit. And this fucking arsehole makes a beeline for the front row, sits down in the front and starts doing it again. Has to be the center of attention. Had to make it about him. Needed to be about him. Could not... You know, just one of those people that doesn't know he's... A, he, he just doubts his own existence until he's had it affirmed by the whole fucking room waiting for his turn. And I was like, even in a show where I said the general public is waiting for their turn and needs to see themselves, even when we've just said to the room, I've only got 15 minutes to wrap up a closing bet that people have paid money to hear, you still had to make it about you. You can't. And I just said, look, just everyone in this room, let this guy know on the way out, like, you're, you're selfish, that, that you ruined that for me. Like, don't let him get away with this. And so the fans came up to me afterwards and said, I've been waiting fucking months for this. I've been waiting months. And I thought, why the hell am I busting my ass to try and sell a ticket to that cunt? And so in the end, I just under-publicized and did anything but comedy clubs. Because I thought, why compete with their mailing list when I can't? why try and sell 120 tickets when we know I can do 80 with no work that I can do uh, 80 to 100 seaters without any publicity really other than the show and that's just the way I started doing it and that became a business model and I, I I've never been happier I look forward to going to work one of the problems with the votes was the echo chambers on social media people had all their friends and anyone else they didn't agree with they went i saw people doing this where they were like delete me if you're gonna vote for trump or delete me if you're gonna vote out or whatever yeah and now we've got an echo chamber about the echo chamber well yes but my my question was going to be about 
you've essentially created your own fan base using uh, social media but also using podcasts and that comes with its own echo chamber in itself because you're self-selecting people who want to invest in you and I wondered how you deal with creatively moving forward and continuing to grow when and I'm not saying they're all sycophants or anything like that but there will be a portion of it in there in the sense of how you've made, gone about it oh I, I, thing is because the show is me as a flawed, flawed individual no one comes to me to my shows with the tell me what to think everyone comes this is the kind of comedy I like that's all it is so I think they know full well the contract that I have signed is sometimes I'm going to say shit I don't mean, you know. Sometimes I'm going to write bits that contradict one another. That's something that like I need to. I want to interview Steve Bennett actually on the show because he's falling into a trap that a couple of critics are, in that they start writing reviews and they're going early on in the show he said this, yet later on he contradicts it. And it's like yeah, it's a fucking comedy show. You're going to say shit you don't mean. There's a grain of truth in there, whatever, but it's the volume turned up. It's a joke. When do we forget what the fuck jokes meant? You know, I can I, I can take a feeling and turn it into funny. So the contract that I've signed with this audience is, I'm going to say shit you don't agree with, but I'm not that committed. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I'm going to say stuff I don't agree with. You know, I'm going to be, sometimes I'm going to be facetious or whatever, but I'm just trying to work out a particular type of comedy. I'm just trying to be funny. Like Bill Burr is one of the funniest guys on the planet right now. There was a couple of critics gunning for him at this year's Edinburgh, weren't there? But he says, like, I'm a fucking moron. I'm a contrarian. I remember he even said on the Joe Rogan podcast this week when Trump got in, he goes, I'm such an arsehole, right? He goes, I'm a professional arsehole. I just laughed my ass off when he said this. He goes, I agree with 90% of what feminists have to say until one of them says it. Beautiful. Yeah, isn't that fucking funny? You know, that's a funny fucking thing to say. And somewhere along the way, some people get a pass and others don't. You know, some people get a pass with some people and others don't. And and, and thankfully, through the show, I've got a pretty multicultural crowd. Like even in Edinburgh, which is like Whitey McWhitey Whitington. Whitey talking to Whitey about how racist Nigel Farage is. Ugh. And nothing sends other ethnicities from a room faster than that shit. <laughs> but you sell yourself as the dumb white guy that's going to say dumb white shit, the, it's, 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 the room automatically becomes more diverse. Do you, do you know uh, Aditi Mittal? Uh, no, I don't. No, she's, uh, she was the fir- one of the first, well, she was the first female in India to do comedy oh. as a professional. And she came over here and I interviewed her and she basically said, she was just got back from Edinburgh. And the first thing, before I'd even asked her a question, she just went, it's really white up there, isn't it? And I was like, how much more white did you expect it to be than everywhere in this country? And she went, no, no, you don't understand. It's really white. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and then, but also super white centric. Yeah. Well, this is To the, the extent where people on the panel wouldn't have certain black comedians on, uh, like they said, yes, but they just talked about being black. Well, this is this is why I couldn't give a shit about these awards is because there are too many agendas behind a lot of them and there are too many reasonings for putting people forward that aren't necessarily that they were funny. Yeah. So... Yes. As a result, I'm like... Think, was a cop stick who said, like, yes, but he was just funny. She's yeah. like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. She had to... She, when, they when said it it's got to Mac- be more than funny. When it was McIntyre, she had to push him through because... He, no, he didn't make it in the end. That he, was, I think they really... I was, her and Bruce really pushed at him, and they, but he didn't win it or something, yeah. No, 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 he didn't make the shortlist. That was the year I... Oh, no, no, no. 
the year before he and I were very very close both of us were shortlisted mm. and then we didn't make the final nominations yeah. and everyone claims that but I know it to be true because both Michael and I were on the West End run right. and I had to follow him well, here's the thing. so anyone that says he's shit try and follow him <laughs> well here's the thing if someone if someone wants to nominate my show I'm not going to go uh, can I can you not do that because I'm not a moron but it just doesn't I, like you said it's changed as a, as it's, a it doesn't mean what it used to for sure yeah I'm going to end it just by asking you uh, a, a regular question I'd ask at the end. Like yep. nor- Normally I have quick fire questions, but to be honest with you, this one's got such a different vibe to it that... Uh, You're worried about my cat fucking your shit up. He will as well. Do you know why? Come here. Do you know why? Because if he ruins... If he, he wants hits, a lap. If he all. hits delete or if he like pulls a cable... And, I know and you it, fuck. Yeah, well, and he's a fucking bag of chaos. Look at him. He's got three legs. Oh, he's lovely though. Oh, he's awesome. I love him. Oh. And not only that, I didn't buy a cat. <laughs> What did you buy? No, he turned up. Oh wow! It's 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 uh, my so he just lives with you now. Yeah, yeah. My um, brother and sister-in-law like got their kids a bunch of pets. The oh. kitten obviously went. Wait a minute! I can get terrorized by like four, a, a, a five and three-year-old, uh, whatever they were at the time. Or there's an Aussie bloke just across the way who lights fires until May, and so that was a no-brainer. So he moved in. So I love him because he chose us. And then when he um, he got the nerve damage and we had to amputate his leg, oh, broke my heart. It was rough. Um, um, it's one of the best decisions we've ever made is we thought, we can't look after a three-legged cat. We'll have to put him down. I'm so glad I paid for him to have an amputation and, and he's still alive. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made. He's a, he's a good guy. <laughs> he seems like a lovely one yeah. oh, on TripAdvisor because people can rent yurts on the property because yeah. all this this uh, this whole area this is my father-in-law's oh, okay so it's 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 all my wife's family around here mm. so the the brother and sister-in-law run the farm shop then my father-in-law's across the way and then that's us in here and there's uh, people rent yurts on the property and all the reviews on uh, TripAdvisor are about the cat so cute. <laughs> about skedaddle <laughs> That's really cute. It isn't it? That doesn't answer. What's your question? My, my last question was going to be, if you had one bit of advice for someone who wanted to start their own fan base, like as in they're, they're maybe moving up or they're starting to do shows and they want to like stay in contact with their fans or they want to build some sort of connection with them, what would you say? Interestingly, I got to do DIY very early and I got a lot of shit for it at the time, I remember. But I thought, I write a lot. And people that did give me shit about it didn't write that much. They dined out on the same 20 minutes on the club circuit. I thought, I'm running between two to three hours a year. Like, I've got the Edinburgh hour that I hone, but I discard an hour in the process. So why am I writing all this stuff without recording it? So then I made CDs, and I would sell them at shows. I think now it's like everything is on flash drives. So the number one thing is get the Zoom recorder. Uh, Learn how to use it. Learn to edit. You know, it's actually very easy to teach yourself everything these days online. Record everything. Yeah, just, I think, record everything. And maybe, a mistake I made, do five episodes first before you put anything out. <laughs> if you're if you're making, like, a, a, a podcast. Because the first five are fucking unlistenable. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible, aren't they? It's terrible. Go back and listen to episode six. <laughs> yeah, and don't be afraid to treat it like a set. Don't be afraid to... Because stream of consciousness isn't as interesting as you think it is. The, the, if you're not interviewing someone and it's just you're doing an intro yourself, if you come up with just stuff that you want to talk about, like don't be afraid to have a notebook and treat it like a joke book because otherwise it'll just be 
meandering babble, much like I've done on this. It's been hard to stay on track sometimes. Of like, why is he talking about that now? It's going to be a tough edit. It's yeah, it's going to be a tough edit for sure. I know. I, I even knew while I was doing. I thought oh, this is an unfair segue. So um, right. well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for driving all the way out here. That was Brendan. I adored getting into the nitty gritty of what drives a comedian and the subtext within jokes and the ownership conversation. I loved listening back to that. That was one of my favourite things that I've I've had a discussion with someone in a while. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I hope you got a lot out of it. If you are new here, please do consider subscribing. If you're old here, please do consider giving us an honest review on iTunes. Ideally five stars. A lot of work does go into this and it does maintain the thing that you like if you like it. Um, or you can donate actual cash money um, on the website, which is simoncain.co.uk. If you do decide to donate money, if you want to donate more than a fiver for this podcast in any way, do consider buying a copy of my book. It's called How to Make a Living by Working for Three, and it's about making a community around online content that you make online. So if you wanted to give more than £5, and you also want something back that could maybe help you create your own community online, which is what Brendan and I talked about in the podcast in terms of uh, building an audience for what you do, then uh, that could be something you might be interested in. So uh, feel free to buy it, £5 for a digital version, and I think it's about 10 or £11 for the paperback, including posts and packaging. Check the website, uh, simoncain.co.uk forward slash shop. As I mentioned before, Brendan and myself are both doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2017. So here's a quick plug for both of our shows. If you want to come down as a result of this podcast or just general online content that either of us have given away, please do. I personally love meeting people from the podcast and I know Brendan does as well. So here goes. Brendan is doing a show at the Gilded Balloon called Race Off at 6.45. He's also doing a split show with Colt Cabana and where they commentate on wrestling matches at Monkey Barrel Comedy Club at 10.20pm every day for the entire run. I am doing a show called Laughter is the Best Placebo. It is at Sweets Venue in the Grass Market at 5pm every day. Uh, you can buy a ticket in advance to ensure you get a seat, or you can pay what you want on exit. I'm doing it every single day except Wednesdays when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. <laughs> You have no idea how much fun I'm having saying that to every journalist who says, oh, when are you on? Oh, yeah, I'm on every day except Wednesdays when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. <laughs> I promise it's funnier than that, but you wouldn't believe how hard it is to make admin amusing for yourself when you're trying to put together a show. So, uh, yeah, please do come on any day except Wednesday. And um, also, uh, me and Brendan have discussed it a bit in the, in this episode, but we're going to do another follow-up episode, which will be about mental health and about his process of trying to control his mental health while at the Edinburgh Festival and... Um, bits beyond that as well, which we've sort of discussed off mic and, and between ourselves. So I... Hope you enjoy that, and hopefully that'll be out early next year, because I kind of want there to be a bit of a space between the two. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really exciting, and I'm really looking forward to that. Hope to see you all at the festival, and hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing. Thank you very much for donating or coming down and watching my show at the festival if you do. See you all in about 15 days' time. Bye!